insights. I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at f20r.com. F as in Frank, 20R as in red.com. I'll see you over there. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Greg Head, who is the CEO of Scaling Point and the founder of Greg's List. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey man, it's great to be here. Yeah, it is great to have you on. I remember when you first started Greg's List, you know, I don't know, two year ago, year and a half ago, and it's cool to see, you know, it's gonna be cool to see what you turn it into. And with that, let's just kind of start with what you're working on. If you can give us a little bit of your background so the audience knows, and then what you're working on right now, then we can dive a little bit into the future. Great. Well, I've been a, uh, uh, in the software industry for 30 years, so I'm a little bit older guy here, and I started in the, the early 90s, and uh, been part of three software adventures that went from startup to global scale uh, in the early days of contact management software, the precursor to CRM in the old Windows in a software in a box days, called ACT, uh, uh, one of the early CRM providers, sales automation providers uh, in Phoenix brought me to Phoenix called sales logics that I helped start and uh, we grew that up and went public and I was also part of Infusionsoft which is sales and marketing automation for small business and I've done a whole bunch of other things been around product and I've run software businesses done a lot of marketing been a CMO Uh, and these days I have uh, my uh, consulting and now workshop company, and I'm starting to scale that called Scaling Point, which helps the uh, founders of early stage growth companies when it's still messy and not all figured out, but they're on to something. Uh, I help them with that complex puzzle, and there's a structure to that game that's not very obvious, but there's laws of nature that exist. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So there's a Scaling Point system that I help founders with, and I've helped, uh, you know, uh, about 50, I mean, deeply in about 50 companies a year. And I talk to the hundreds and hundreds of founders a year on that. Um, but in my spare time, uh, after, and Greg's list, you mentioned, is a, started as a Phoenix resource for tech founders. Uh, I started meeting with founders after I left Infusionsoft four years ago. So, man, it's been three years for Greg's list. And they all had the same, they all told me the same thing. Uh, in Phoenix, it's not really a software town and there's no investment there and you can't get talent and there's not help and I don't know where anybody else is. And I was talking to all these people and meanwhile, you know, the investors and talent and everybody else is saying, where is everybody? So literally, I just knew these people and published the list of software companies and it kept on growing. It, today, Matt, it just surpassed 500 active software companies in Phoenix, Arizona and now it's, we have Dow, in Greg's List, Dallas-Fort Worth, where I moved recently, get back to my wife's homeland, and we're going to do Greg's List Utah in January and keep on going. So, uh, you know, it turned into a thing that's going national. Um, you know, in the software ecosystem, there's all kinds of people that help in every region. 
there's lawyers and there's the events people and the investors and all that. Nobody actually makes a list of all the software companies and they're really hard to find. Like they don't get out much because they're working all the time and so forth. So Greg's list is a list of active software companies and you can uh, find out what's going on in Phoenix and, and Dallas. You don't have that problem in Silicon Valley because everybody thinks they're in software, but these other towns, somebody need to raise the flag. So you mentioned that they're hard to find and in order to, to build a list of over 500 companies in Phoenix and obviously in other cities. That's fantastic, by the way. That's huge news. Yeah. I'm curious, what are some of the tactics that you use to find companies? And as you think about scaling Greg's list, how do those tactics change or do they remain the same? Well, it started as just me compiling the list of the people I knew, because I knew a lot of people. Uh, very active in the community, helped a lot of people. And uh, it was kind of fun to meet new people. And I'm kind of one of those organized guys that just makes a nice list and then keeps tracking. So so it's uh, it actually grew from me finding companies and adding them to the list, being part of the pitch events, you know, running around town, seeing another one, driving by, hearing a company, having people put me in touch. So it grew very organically. See, Matt, the, the problem is the data, these companies are there. I'm not creating the companies. I'm not creating the data in the world. Uh, but everybody's waiting for a crowdsource thing to automatically happen. Many have tried and all have failed. Or some kind of automated AI bot. And the AI bots don't work. So like, what is an active software company? You actually have to look at them in the eyes almost, you know, to see what it is. Because everybody's got software. Everybody's got, you know, developers. Everybody thinks they're a software. But um, so there's a lot of, uh, it's curated. That's why I called it Craigslist, because I did it. And I know what a software company is. So, um, so it's relatively human oriented. I mean, you know, but that's the value. So 50,000 people have used Greg's list and they spend an average of 15 minutes on the page. So I know people care. People high five me all the time. I moved to Phoenix because of Greg's list. I knew there was a tech community and I got a job there because of Greg's list. So that's cool. That's so cool. The, I think the coolest thing about it is that you bring to light now over 500 active companies, uh, startups in Phoenix that some people may never would have known them otherwise. And because of yeah. Craigslist, they now know about them. Yeah. I, I'd love to know, how do you think about the cities that you moved to uh, for Craigslist? For example, it was Phoenix, then Dallas, then you mentioned Utah, and then yeah. you, you said you want this to go national. Do you have a game plan of how you want to approach different tech hubs? Well, I'm experimenting with it. So once, you know, what I know now after three years is that it's useful, and I updated it every month with new information, new ads and deletes and updates, and people move around and got pretty good at that in my, you know, a couple hours a month spare time, but everybody wanted more lists and everything like that. So we're going to expand a lot more lists of people that say, who are the blockchain guys in Phoenix? Who's exactly in Chandler? Who are the sales and marketing software in, in, you know, North Dallas or, you know, more specific questions. The more specialized the, the you know, the list, the more useful it is. Um, so I'm experimenting. And so Salt Lake is a very active software community. Uh, Phoenix and Dallas are big towns with a lot of software, but they're not known as software communities. So their common knowledge is, oh, people, there's not a lot of software here. But there's not a lot of funded software, for one. And so those are the ones we see. 
on TechCrunch and everything else and then the headline. So you don't see all the rest of these. So something very common about all tech ecosystems. Um, eventually, we'll get everybody and get Silicon Valley last. They have the least need. They're already running around. They know who's hot and not and all that kind of stuff. Everybody else is a little more struggling. So you can imagine everywhere from Boston to San Diego, you know, uh, even Seattle and the rest. Like job seekers are really looking for tech companies. They want to find the companies. Investors are looking, right? Talent, service, you know, these are the people that entrepreneurs, my friends are complaining they can't find, right? And so now people are finding them. That's why I do it. It's for the entrepreneurs. It's not, you know, we get to wave the flag, with, you know, we have tech in Phoenix or whatever, but um, that's so entrepreneurs can recruit talent there and get investor dollars. So. So you come from an extremely impressive background of growth and marketing. I mean, you scaled multiple companies to, to multi, multi millions of dollars in revenue. I don't know how big Infusionsoft got, but I know it was huge. And uh, you now are almost flipping the script that it's like, okay, you've done the big company thing, the big tech thing, then you've, uh, you've started Scaling Point, which is helping maybe smaller companies or bigger companies grow. And now you're back in the founder seat, the startup founder seat with Greg's List. I'm interested to hear, has, do you think that your experience with Infusionsoft and, and ACT um, lends very well for the future success of Greg's List? Do you think it is a, do you think it might be hard because it's like a totally different skill set? How do you think about that? Well, one of the things, one of the reasons that chronic entrepreneurs, Matt, you'll be one of these, right? Uh, we all suffer from the same uh, need to do something cool and crazy and all that kind of stuff. So uh, in my case, I kind of sort out what hasn't changed in the world. And some of it's not very obvious. Like most of the stuff that has to do with our brains has not changed. We like stories and there's like fundamentals of all of this stuff, especially marketing communications uh, have not changed because our brains haven't changed. But the technologies and common knowledge and all kinds of tools and other things have changed. So um, I think it's an advantage because, you know, Greg's List is a little producty and I have a lot of product experience, right? And I know how to do the phases. I know how to say, well, it's just me for a few hours a month in my spare time. And I can imagine the phased experiences that says this is a national thing that's quite interesting, right? I don't know what it's going to be. So, um, so, uh, and the marketing game and all that. So I have a, you know, a lot of deep savvy and you know, I'm a junkie for this stuff. So this is my fun. Like some people watch football on Sundays and to me, I fiddle around with, gosh, I wonder what's going on at Kansas city tech or something like that. Right. Talking to people, hanging out with those people. So, you know, it's just my, my funkiness. Um, you know, for people who've done it before, they usually are overzealous about how, savvy they are about their opinion they can't really stand back and say maybe i don't know what i don't know um so i have to keep hitting myself in the head the fact i slow rolled it for three years as a volunteer project you know was part of that so i have to kind of check myself i write the three-year plan and then i put it in the drawer and then three months later so uh i don't know i just have to keep checking myself I, i'm a total believer in uh you can have a big vision, but you don't have to know exactly what's going to happen in a year. 
I kind of have the plan for the next three months, but I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So like your question about how I'm going to do nationally, I'm going to try three cities and I'm going to see how that works. And I'm going to try another three cities and see, see how that works. So far, I'm finding there's a lot of commonality uh, between cities. Um, and uh, so, you know, not surprisingly. Definitely. So you mentioned something there about the phases of growth and you've been there and you can now estimate when those phases will come. So I want to get into those in a second, but I have one last question on Greg's list. If you're open or willing to share, um, have you thought about different ways that you want to make money off of Greg's list, whether it's membership or ads, or uh, I'm just yeah. tr intrigued as a, as a user of Greg's list. Yeah. How do you think about, yeah. about making money off it? Well, my first, um, so, uh, you know, um, as a volunteer project, just that Greg would update this list that people would send me occasional notes, but I mostly did it myself and people just let me do it. By the way, that's why the opportunity exists because it was disguised as work and nobody else would just go do this, literally. So, um, uh, um, sorry, what was your question there? Yeah, sorry. The question was, I have been a huge fan of Greg's list and I would probably pay to, to access it in some way. It. How do you plan to yeah. charge for it? So in order for me to go say, because people told me, hey, Greg, you could take some other towns and go nationally, you could have more lists, it could be really cool. And I kind of said, no, it's pretty much in this box that says three hours a month, stop bugging me about it. And then when I said, so many people said, this is awesome. I said, all right, if I can find a simple monetization thing, then I can imagine putting some more resources in it, getting help for managing the data, build a new website, get some more, you know, promotional help. So, so uh, I'm going to try. I'm actually I'm launching with, uh, you know, lightweight sponsorships, right? Ten of the tech leaders in Arizona that have already already been helping in tech that want to chip in a little bit to be, you know, get their awareness on the page, uh, and including the economic development folks you know, in Phoenix, Arizona, and all the cities and things like that. And uh, may keep it simple, something I can manage pretty simple and imagine taking to 10 cities. Uh, it's easy to imagine 26 ways and all the whiteboards you could monetize, but I think the game will change once I get it to 10 or 20 cities. And uh, we'll see what happens then. But like, uh, so it'll be a simple like PBS style, lightweight, polite sponsorship. It won't be an in-your-face ads, silly thing. So what people like about Greg's list is that they know Greg curates this. I kind of pick away at the companies and some, you know, somebody cares behind here and it's Greg. So they don't want it to be polluted and they want it to be kind of nice. So they're, you know, lightweight sponsorships and partnerships to start. So how I'm gonna do it. Phase one. Phase one. By the way, my, man, good. I don't have to make this a big company. I, my ambition is to have a huge impact basically get all the software companies in America and make all the entrepreneurs say enough, I can't handle all the talent and entre you know, and investment and customers and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but you know, and make a good living, do it, have fun. Like, that'd be a cool company. I don't, I've, I've helped three companies, you know, go to global scale, two of them got to a hundred million, one went public, like, uh, you know, I don't need to play the VC funded software growth game. I help those people all over the world, but uh, in the States, but um, this will be a fun thing in my, my spare time. And I'll still help entrepreneurs with Scaling Point. 
By the way, and that's really early stage. It's up and running. I've got a product or service, but it's not scaling. Once they get big and VPs of everything and Series C funding, you can't really help them that much. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I actually want to dip into to that side of things and just generally talk about growth. Um, and uh, based on your experience going through all, all cycles and all levels, um, would you be open to outlining the general phases of growth that a startup goes through and uh, how a founder should think about resources at that phase or whatever iteration you want to answer that of? I'm curious yeah. about that. Yeah, there's a couple ways that are pretty common to look at. If you look at lots of companies, if you're an investor or you, you, know, you talk to a lot of companies, you see companies go through this, you'll see there's a lot of commonalities. One of the things that's not very obvious for the outside is growth happens in kind of stair-stepped phases, right? You don't just continually, incrementally, you force yourself to get through one thing and then you have to change something at the end of that stair to get to the next level. It's pretty pretty brutal kind of thing. But um, I would say in the phases of growth companies, which most companies are not growth companies, they're just small businesses and large businesses. If you're the crazy one trying to change form, change the world, change form, go from startup to scale, you've got to get through phases. By the way, there's no company that's got to super scale that didn't get through those early crazy phases. So how I built this podcast and the rest goes back to that early stage. So the first stage is the ideation phase, and yes, everything's possible, right? And if you're a smart person like a chef who can make any kind of food, you imagine that you could make this restaurant with every kind of food that you like to make. And then your first epiphany, the first phase is realizing that a business is one kind of food in one place for one audience, and they love it, and they line up, and the CEO doesn't cook it, right? So that's the first epiphany. I call that going from ADD to OCD not in a pejorative way. It's just like you actually have to go out and try a bunch of stuff and then specialize down to be something pretty specific. That's actually fundamental. You could, you know, investors call it product market fit, which isn't a very useful concept for, for entrepreneurs because they, they think if they're selling something, then they, they must have product market fit, but it's much deeper than that. So, um, so that's actually the first phase is get up and running and then, start to narrow down on what works exceptionally well, which is a subset of that. And it, like at Infusionsoft, you know, starting selling to all small business, the more we narrowed our target and narrowed our message, the faster we grew, which is counterintuitive. So, so the ones that are starting to scale, show me a company that's scaling fast, getting funded, getting priced, I'll show you. They're known as the best at something important for someone specific which by that time they're saying no to most things, not yes. So that's the biggest misconception about growth is I call it the myth of more, is that if we're a little company, we do this, then we, as we grow, we ought to be able to do a lot more, right? So Matt, you're in the zone there where you had this big idea, now you got a few employees that you read, man, if I could only do more. Well, um, your growth plan is usually a subset. There's a better business inside your business. Um, you know, a subset of your target. It's really just these people, just these things where the space is open and you can kill it and it's repeatable processes and people line up. We only line up for specialists. We do not line up for generalists. It's the marketing magic trick. So um, that's the, the phase in between startup and scale. Another way to look at it, Matt, is what uh, uh, Brad and Clay and others taught at Infusionsoft. You hear this a lot. 
the ones and the threes. Have you heard this one? Uh, the ones, the, the, the ones and the threes is where you go through uh, internally a pretty seismic shift in your business. 300,000, 100,000 to 300,000, 300,000, 1 million, 1 million to 3 million, like tripling, right? 3 million to 10 million, 10 million to 30. The yep. tripling, you by basically every one of those phases, you look inside the business and you kind of have to do everything differently. You know, you know, like your accounting software needs to change, your people need to change, your process need to change. And we went through that infusion. It happens every time, it's very normal. Um, it's one of the reasons why CEOs don't, founding CEOs struggle to stay with their companies. The faster it grows, they're not playing the different sport along the way. They gotta be an athlete and it's rugby down here and it's baseball up there and you gotta keep learning altogether new sports. It's really, one of the misconceptions too, it's very hard to see from the outside. It's always there. Um, and somebody says, hey, I have a $10 million company and last year we were this and actually we were that. You could pretty much predict the internal crap they're going through. How did you know, right? So, you know, that kind of thing. But that's another phased approach kind of thing. So that's misunderestimated. I want to dive into the CEO scaling with the company. Um, the, the, the fastest growing companies scale exponentially. It's not linearly. Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, generally, from what I've read, uh, people scale linearly. And when you're with a fast growing company, especially if the CEO, you need to also scale exponentially. What advice or tips would you have for a CEO or someone who wants to be CEO that's of a company that's growing exponentially, how do you level up that quickly and, and, and keep up with the pace of your company? Yeah, so the first thing is to know that that's happening. Because we look at, most founders look at the business and it starts to go in and it's just more of everything and right, they're throwing, throwing stuff at it. But um, if they're getting good advice and if their head is screwed on enough to see it, it's hard to see it in the firefight. I mean, it's really hard to see it. But if you get good advice, um, you know, the first thing is to get the best help you can at the phase you're at and start to get help for the, from the next phase, right? There's people for every phase and investors and experience there. So the first thing is get the best help you can. You cannot do it alone, right? Which is really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. So first rule is to know that that game exists and you're going to have to play it harder. Man, I believe that founders are different than normal people not genetically, we're just freaks. We are all in on this, right? Our egos, yep. <laughs> our net worth, our everything, which is a force of nature. It's what it's, it's the founder force is really important in the world. And, you know, uh, founders need to use that force to make themselves change. So here's the irony, Matt. Here's a quotable. Uh, founders want to change the world. They expect the world to change, but they don't want to change themselves as they go through this journey. They want to play the game they were playing when it was 10 million and it's now 50. So they just have to unhinge from that and keep themselves moving. So, um, so I just think the founders ought to use that force to play this game hard. Like Mark's, you know, like Silicon Valley loves founders that can stay and play the game. Like think about how many phases Mark Zuckerberg went through, right? And we just think he's a smart software guy and a smart business guy. No, he kept learning this and learned Chinese in his spare time. It's, it's a freakish, it's an exponential growth thing that normal people don't do. Oh, that's interesting. 
it's like if, if you're a founder type person or you're just a straight up founder, you're almost doing that anyways. And it's just um, finding like in, in some ways, the way I perceive what you just said is you should be doing that anyways. And you should just hope to build a company uh, that challenges you to, to keep doing it and not coasting or something like that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of reasons founders create, and I plead guilty, is because we want to create ourselves differently. We want to force ourselves to change and grow and deal with that. And it, that's also not very normal. It's, it's why people climb the side of Everest when it's 25 degrees below zero. And like, I don't know, it's just not normal. But uh, we change ourselves through this. So that's part of the game as well. Like we want to create impact in the world and, you know, uh, you know create a big team and do really cool things and, and uh, you know, create wealth in there, but we also change ourselves through this game. And so if you, if an entrepreneur knows they're changing themselves as much as anything in the growth game, then that's, they can, they can be wise about it. Do you think uh, someone can not have the founder genes and learn to be a founder? Or do you think you're kind of born a founder uh, from, from the get? I, I would just say they need to, um, some people are freakishly fanatic and others are not. And so I'm not freakishly fanatic about everything. Right. So that's okay. Like, um, you know, some people are freakishly fanatic about football or whatever. So if you just need to apply your freakishness, like that intensity, the passion, like not just passion, like intensity is a better word. Um, like in those kind of intense people, uh, um, they could be founders. It's not like a, a founder gene. They just like you, like Ben Horowitz says, you know, it's the hard people doing it's the people doing the hard things. It's that's pretty much the game, which means pretty much by definition, the stuff normal people don't do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's definitely, um, it's definitely interesting as I meet tons of, people, uh, tons of founders who some are just kind of playing entrepreneurship like in college, some are really trying to go for it, go big, and they're just learning just like me. Like I haven't figured it out yet, right? I'm still learning and trying to be yeah. a better founder and figure out what's going to work. But um, yeah. I'm curious, actually, I have a question. If you if you meet someone who, let's say they, they've tried to start companies and they, they haven't been super successful, they had like more success than like fit, than just failing, but they haven't made it yet. Um, what is the most common mistake that you see these types of people make, or what's like a change that you should that you see founder founders uh, make, um, but before they found success? Well, yeah, so that's a great question because you and I are talking to people before they're famous. My wife says, "How do you know all these people who are big shots?" And I said, "I knew them when they were little shots, right? You know, and and they were just they were not they looked like freaks to everybody else, but you know they had a certain thing." So. Um, there's, uh, there's a couple uh, things in there, because there's a lot of, uh, the first thing to say is, when you go out and you talk to thousands of software founders and CEOs, right, all size companies, but especially small ones, uh, and not just the venture funded ones and the super cool kids, right, the ones who have made it. So uh, how I built this podcast is, has the survival bias, survival bias, like it's only the ones that won big, right? But if you go out there, like I do, to all of them, Right, you see that the default story for software startups is it probably won't work, 
and it will be painful for like software, right? Different than, you know, rest, maybe restaurant service businesses or whatever. Lawyers are having a hard time rest, but like, you know, we just see the success stories out there. So the default story is going to be really painful. So I know hundreds of founders who are really good friends and it's always painful. Okay. So there's a lot of smart people. The second thing is a lot of smart people who doing cool things and they didn't quite get the timing right or didn't get something right. And there's, it's an alchemy of what's happening in the outside world and what you can do. Right. And sometimes, it, you know, the, you know, timing, timing is used as, a, as an excuse or whatever, but like sometimes people win and then they don't win again. And right. It's, you know, it's a little bit more than just them. Um, but when the timing is there, and there's founders, I would first make the cut of, there's some fake founders that say, I'm going to follow, like there's a formula. It looks like there's a formula to it now, Matt. I grew up when there was no formula. We were all making it up and we'd hang out and go, what did you do? I don't know. What did you do? Right. And uh, which is why I want to connect up founders again. Um, but um, most, there's some fake founders out there that aren't really playing it super hard. And you know that they're going to they're going to get punched in the face a few times and stop. Right. This is why VCs and investors wait a little bit longer now. They want to get see people get punched in the face 10 times and get back up and say, oh, that I learned from that. I'll keep going. That didn't hurt so much and so forth. So people totally underestimate how hard the game is and they think it's a formula. Um, so uh, and I don't know. There's other lessons. The biggest lesson that I'm attacking with Scaling Point is the founders are very talented, very energetic, to superpower, and they wanna be more generalist. They think they can scale being a generalist and they don't specialize fast enough. Matt, who are you really best in the world for, right? It's not everybody who wants content marketing. They're, you're gonna, you, how fast can you find who you are best for where there's a crowd that's unserved that you could you know, find a thousand customers that have you're perfect for them and everybody else sucks. So that's the way to, that's the way to scale. And most people don't find that. They don't survive long enough to find their focus that they could scale. Yeah, that's, that's all super insightful. You, you definitely, it's cool to have you on because I talked to, as you said, a lot of people um, that are figuring it out. It's kind of before most people on the show yeah. haven't had much success yet. Yeah. Right. And you're someone who you're starting something new. So you haven't had much success yet with like this new thing, but you've had massive success in your career. So you speak with such authority on the topic and knowledge on the topic. And it's just really uh, cool to hear. Yeah, as I a young to founder myself. myself. So I have plenty, I have to surround my people, people who uh, like literally have to do the process of myself and go, Oh, darn it. You know, I have to, I have to play the game. Our brains don't want to do this. Our brains want to be folks who can make anything. And for you today, it's this. It's counterintuitive in the firefight where survival, you know, it's, it's just really hard to, you know, to say, I'm going to just focus on this, but it's a move that's there in every, all, all that, that early stage stuff. There's a move of wandering around and then we just found this and we said no to everything else and then boom, right? So finding that thing is the trick. Yeah. But that's where leverage is. You can't out email, you can't out, out work hours, you can't out fund, you can't out something to scale. You have to be best in the world at something where people say it's freaking amazing. And that pull happens. You can't push yourself to scale. You can pull, you have to be pulled, right? Can you actually um, dive into 
what you mean by leverage and that it's not, you can't just cause you send a million emails doesn't mean you're going to win. Can, can you go yeah. into leverage for me? Yeah. It's a little bit of that phase thing. The one phase of starting getting to a million dollars in revenue is pretty much brute force, right? Trying a bunch of stuff, dialings, emailing, you know, you know, throwing it out there, getting to 200 podcasts. I don't know. Just, just pushing hard. Right. So that's kind of the version of getting to, a million dollars. So somebody's got a million dollar SaaS business or software business. I know they're everything's pedal to the metal. They're just, you know, getting it up and running. So all their friends, all their relatives, right? All that stuff. Um, getting to a million dollars is way different than getting from five to $10 million. Like cosmically different. That's probably the biggest difference in the scale of a business. Maybe hundred million is the next milestone, like turning to a scalable factory where people line up and you could build it and everybody's happy is really a, is a, is a real magic trick. So um, yeah, that's the, that's the turn in there that most people get stuck at. So it's like um, what it's pretty much what got you here won't get you there. And uh, you can, you can hustle your way to a million, but you need hustle and something else. You need, you need leverage to, to keep going. Leverage. Yeah. You need people lining up and uh, you know, hustle is linear like in your language, right? You just, and you can't add people, add salespeople is a common one for enterprise. So just add salespeople, just add features, just add this, right? And then you go, it, that, it works for a while until it doesn't. More works until it doesn't. And it, it's always there. Usually it gets you between two and three million. If you have a higher priced item and you have super hustle genes and you're onto some tactical magic trick nobody else has yet for six months or something, you can get it higher. Uh, but usually that's why VCs wait till, you know, three to five to 10 million. They know you've kind of worn out all that, you know, uh, illusion, right? That you could just brute force this thing. And so for founders, one of the first things for them to know is like, you know, uh, that's not obvious is whatever got you to a million is not the same thing. You actually have to change sports and it's good that you got there and that's the resource for you, but you have to turn that into a different uh, kind of game. Like, yes, there was a million hamburger stands all over the United States in the fifties or forties or whenever McDonald's started, we all saw the founder and you know, it was a totally different game to create McDonald's as a institutional capable hamburger making machine, right? Fundamentally different. That would scale. None of the other mom and pop hamburger shops would. So it's, it's more along the lines of that. And so you actually have to get through a million dollars in survival and run out in the field and see what works to turn it into McDonald's. Remember they said we had a restaurant with all kinds of food and it sucked. So we decided to do just hamburgers just this way. And it was amazing. Right. Yep. Yep. So they didn't invent the hamburger. They invented 16 year olds doing it all over the world and selling a billion a year. Perfectly. Which, you know, that's, that was innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a couple more questions for you. This has been super insightful. Um, very good for framing, framing growth and thinking about the phases. I want to go back to Greg's list with, for a couple questions. Yeah. Um, if, if there are people listening and they are in New York, they're in Boston, or they're in you know wherever in Nebraska, and they want 
to bring Greg's, they, they want you to do a Greg's list of their town. Are you, are you thinking about almost crowdsourcing demand uh, or what should they do? Is there anything they can do? Well, uh, first of all, they can reach out to me. So this is, you know, it's the macro list, but still Greg. So they can contact me at Greg at greghead.com or on LinkedIn or whatever. And I talk to people all over all the time and uh, tell me what's going on. I still haven't found a regional tech software community, Raleigh in New York, Boston, Chicago, Kansas City, Denver, et cetera, Portland, that has a list of all the software companies. I mean, like all of them, the big ones, the regional offices, the growth ones, the funded ones, the unfunded ones, the vertical ones, the small ones, but they're real software companies, platform, marketplace, apps. So, so people can reach out to me and say, um, uh, you know, here's what's going on in my town. Here would be useful. I'm kind of taking, you know, suggestions right now, where to go to next. And it, it does depend, so it's very astute of you, it does depend on how much help I can get from the community to spread the word to get the flame going in the first place. So the ones I'm going to, I have access to the leaders of the community and straight to the founders, right? So it is a bottom up thing, but I'll hit it top and bottom. So um, yes, those are the partners that are gonna help uh, play it. But, you know, I don't know about New York next, you know, it's really the un underdog towns that aren't New York, San Francisco, you know, San Jose, um, that where, you know, you don't see most of the software companies. And about 15% of all software companies are institutionally funded. Some are funded in other kind of ways. So, you know, in most regions, you'll find that 60% of software companies are not outside funded, which is a darn good way to go if you can get there right? For most of the business, you know, most software businesses shouldn't be really funded or overfunded. Very few it should be of the founders and the market opportunity and the timing should be VC funded. And there are some that should. I just got this thought in my head. Are you in touch at all with Steve Case of Rise of the Rest? Because he, he does all of this in all the towns, right? Yeah, I'll get there. Uh, I know him and I know people that know him. I've met him a couple times and all that. So yes. So there, by the way, here's one of the things that appeals to me about Greg's list is I can imagine getting to 10 or 20 cities and then having real conversations with Saster and Steve Case and AWS and, you know, yes. uh, the people in every town and all that normal stuff. And so, you know, and then like rallying the entrepreneurs to do something like these are like. I feel totally for the founders and the entrepreneurs themselves. These are the, it's, it's a lonely job. It's the hardest job. People, you know, people have no idea and all they need is help. They need funding, talent, support, therapy from other founders, uh, you know, which Silicon Valley has a lot of that going on. Like organically, people are talking to each other, running around, support. Everybody thinks that's like, if you're the only one doing AI stuff in Kansas City and you're really good, it's you're you, if it feels kind of hard out there, right? But if you can get more around and funding and everything, there's kind of a national network going on. So Steve Case and all that stuff. Uh, I don't know if you can feel it. I'm kind of for the the underdogs here, the freaks who and the misfits who are making the most change. By the way, everything that's big now, McDonald's, you know, or uh, Amazon or Microsoft or Slack or whatever, it was a bunch of crazy misfits, you know, the freaks in the beginning, everybody thought that's really strange. And their mom said, stop doing that. 
right? So we have all that because they didn't stop. So I'm for those guys. You yeah. mentioned that, yep, yep. You mentioned there that all of these entrepreneurs need is help, right? They, they need hiring, fundraising, product, you know, and, and whatnot. And actually a question that I always ask on this podcast is what can the forward thinking founders community do for you? How can the community help you? You got a lot of people listening. You're starting something new. Um, I, I'd love to know how can, how can we help? What's an ask that you have? Well, um, they can reach out to me from wherever they are for two reasons. One is to tell me what's going on in their town. I'd love to get a perspective. What's happening in San Antonio, Raleigh, Tallahassee, I don't know, Atlanta, you know, uh, and get a quick perspective there. And I'd be happy to chat with them. And on that chat, I'd be happy to share some perspective of what I see in these thousands of software companies and the experience I've had. We'll do a little trade. So if people want to reach out to me, um, which is a version of how Greg's List got started. I literally went out and started helping and people said, hey, can you help me and help me? And then I found 100, helped 100 CEOs. So happy to help in that trade there, but I'd love to know what's going on in other cities and uh, you know what these entrepreneurs are seeing and how they're feeling. All right, well, everyone listening, you heard it here first. Greg, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Again, as I said, super fascinating insights on growth. And I think Craigslist is, is really exciting. So looking forward to seeing how it grows. All right. Thanks, Matt.